Scripture reading this morning is Psalm 43, verse 1 through 5. Scripture says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. Father in heaven, we are praying that you would open our eyes to your light. Let us see it in the pages of Scripture this morning. Let us see it in the face of Christ. And I ask that in your light we would find salvation so that we can praise you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1939, town of Randall, Washington, which is not very far from Mount St. Helens, a little boy, five years old, heard the good news that Jesus Christ died for his sins and rose from the dead. He understood, even as a five-year-old, that he was a sinner and he needed to be forgiven for his sins. And he believed that when he heard that message, that Jesus had paid for his sin. And that little boy repented and found forgiveness. That means he turned from his sin. He asked God to cleanse him. And he, in 1939, was baptized in a cold mountain stream, showing that he placed his faith in the death of Christ to cover his sins. So when you go down into the water, you're saying that you believe that Christ's death is for you. That's what you deserved. And when they brought him up out of that cold mountain stream, he began a new life in Christ. He said, my life is now his. And that little boy after 80 years, has walked with Jesus through good times and through bad. That little boy is a member of our church today. And in 1962, in Clarkston, Michigan, at Dixie Road Baptist Church, Sue Lambert heard the good news that Jesus died for her sins and rose from the dead. And she believed that she needed God's forgiveness. And so a woman in the church, after she heard that message, took her and another girl aside after the service, and she prayed with them. And she prayed and asked God to forgive her for her sins and to give her life through Jesus Christ because Jesus died in her place and rose from the dead. And Sue was baptized at Dixie Road Baptist Church in 1969. And she has walked with Jesus ever since. Not perfectly, none of us do. But she has been with Jesus through good times and through terrible times. 
And today she is still trusting in Jesus and she is a member of our church. And in a way, both of these stories are completely unremarkable. Many would kind of scoff at them because two five-year-olds understood that they were sinners and that they needed a savior. We have a hard time fathoming that little five-year-olds are sinners before God. They hadn't committed any great sins the way we measure sin, yet they understood that apart from faith in Jesus, they would be lost. And so they both prayed, confessing their guilt, their guilt to God, and they began a life of faith in Jesus. And now, decades later, they still trust in Jesus. And I told those stories because while they seem unremarkable, both of those stories describe people being delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Both of them are rescue stories with God breaking the power of Satan and setting a prisoner free. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, all of us were at one time dead in our trespasses and sins following the prince of the power of the air. We were in bondage under the rule of Satan. Blind, unable to help ourselves. But Paul says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace means there's nothing you did to earn God's favor or God's love, but he holds it out to you as a gift. And he sets you free from the power of Satan, from the kingdom of darkness, and welcomes you into the kingdom of light. The apostle Peter describes salvation like this. Peter says, God called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So the Bible teaches that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so the whole world lives in darkness. But God is rescuing people all the time. And I wanted to begin this message with two stories of people that you know who are in our church because in our passage in Luke, Jesus sets a man free from a demon. And the whole passage that we're going to look at today deals with the reactions that people had to seeing what God did in setting that man free. And you know, when we read things like this in the Bible, sometimes the Bible seems hard to believe for us. In our culture, demons are the stuff of fiction and horror movies. It seems like every October we get a new movie out that shows some terrifying little child under the power of Satan about to destroy the world. And there is something terrifying about it. But for us, we don't look around in our day-to-day life and say, that person is afflicted by a demon. It really is only in movies or maybe stories from other cultures where we think of demonic activity. Maybe you would see Satan at work in deep depression or mental illness or or addiction. Maybe even closer to home, you might recognize that as you wrestle with sin, Satan still tempts you and tries to deceive you and destroy you by leading you away 
But I think for your average person, we forget that Satan and his demons exist. They don't seem real to us. So I want to remind you at the beginning of this message that the Bible describes all of us as once enslaved to Satan. Christian and non-Christian alike, we all started the same way. And when Jesus shows his power over Satan in Scripture with this man, who is obviously under the control of the devil, he is showing his power to save you and to save me, just like he saved that little boy in 1939, just like he rescued Sue back in 1962. And today we're going to see the power of Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Let me encourage you, open your Bible to Luke chapter 11. We've been going through the book of Luke to see Jesus and to see him clearly. Luke is an easy book to find. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's a large book. And I want to make sure that you pay attention to what the scriptures actually say as I speak. Because the authority that we have is found in the pages of scripture. And I want to make sure you keep me honest. Check what I say. Read along with me. So look with me at Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to read a long portion here, and then I'm going to take it into little, little sections. And I've got this section entitled, The Danger of Emptiness. The Danger of Emptiness. Read with me verses 14 through 26. See how this man was set free and how he needed the Savior. Look at verse 14. It says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. I said in this passage today, we're going to see two different reactions to Jesus working the miracle. And you can see both of them in brief in verse 18. It says, all the people marveled, excuse me, verse 15, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. That's some people. Some people are denying that Jesus genuinely 
works for the Father, that he is a divine representative, that he is the Son of God himself coming in power. Some of them are saying, he's not a savior, he's satanic. But verse 16, others said that they needed a sign, they needed more proof. And this first section that we're going to look at deals primarily with those who said that Jesus was working under the power of Satan. You know, some people, they assume that ancient people didn't understand what caused physical problems like deafness or blindness. So they thought that when someone was deaf or blind, that they were under the power of a demon. But I want to say real briefly that the Bible shows a reality that's more complicated than that. In fact, if anything, it's our culture that's overly simplistic. We assume when someone has a physical problem, it's always physical, 100% of the time. The Bible allows for the possibility that it could be either physical or spiritual or perhaps some combination of the two. When Jesus healed people, sometimes he addressed a person who was blind and healed the blindness with no reference to some sort of demonic influence. In fact, you might think of John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a man who could not see And the disciples ask him about the reason for this man's blindness. And all Jesus says is that this man was born this way to glorify God. So that he could demonstrate his love and his power in healing him. And so in some cases, it doesn't seem like there's demonic influence at all. But the ancients recognized that it was a possibility And I think sometimes we need to recognize that Satan is at work in our lives too. And I'm not saying you need to to see him under every rock and in every sickness. I don't think that's the case. The New Testament shows people going to doctors. I think we should go to doctors, but we should also pray. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And we ought to pray for deliverance. But, But let me be very clear. This passage here in Luke 11 is not intended for us to learn how to treat deafness or anything else. It is intending to show us the power of Jesus and our need to respond to him. Sometimes people today, when they think about the demonic, they kind of obsess over it and they want to treat the Bible like a manual for spiritual warfare and how you can defeat Satan. The thing the Bible points you to is to the Savior Jesus who has already defeated Satan. And if you're concerned about Satan, the one thing I would say to you is look to the Savior who can set you free. Look to Jesus. Call out on him. He loves to save and he will save. So if you're afraid of the power of the devil, look to Christ and look and see how Jesus shows this great power that is still at work today. And he's the one that we want to look to. But notice... First, the reaction of the people that say Jesus is working under the power of the devil. Jesus addresses them very bluntly and says two things. Number one, your argument doesn't make sense. And number two, if I am truly working in the power of God and you are resisting and rejecting me, you are in grave danger. Let me show you the first point that he makes. Your argument doesn't make sense. He says in response to this idea that he cast out demons by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he says, verse 17, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. 
And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? In other words, if Jesus, under the power of Satan, is casting out demons, then Satan's kingdom cannot stand. There's no reason for him to be able to deliver people from Satan's power. That's, that's going the wrong direction. That's, that's a goal scored for the wrong team if Jesus truly worked under the power of Satan. And he adds to this, in this day and age that Jesus was living in, there were other Jewish exorcists who went around and, and cast out demons and they said that they did it under the power of God. And in fact, they would look and say that only the power of God could overcome the power of Satan like this. And Jesus' point was, if your sons are claiming that only the power of God can do this, they will be your judges. They will condemn you because they know that only the power of God can do this. And so if Jesus is demonstrating not the power of Satan, but the power of God, they are in grave danger because they are rejecting what God is doing. And that's the second point, that there is great danger in rejecting Christ. And I want to point you to one verse in particular here. Verse 20, Jesus says, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it's a really interesting phrase, the finger of God. It's only used just a few times throughout the Bible. And I'll point you to one in particular. It's found in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. If you guys remember, we went through the book of Exodus a couple of years ago. And in that context, the people of God are in bondage, very much like this man was under the bondage of Satan. And they cried out and asked for a deliverer, and God sent them Moses. And Moses goes, and he begins working miracles. He tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Set them free. And Pharaoh resists the work of God. And as Moses begins to do miracles, Pharaoh responds by falsely duplicating those miracles through his magicians. So Moses first, he casts his rod down, and it turns into a serpent. And so the magicians working for Pharaoh do the same thing. They cast, cast their rods down, and they also become a snake. And then Moses turns some water into blood, and the magicians respond to do the same thing. They also turn some water into blood. And they begin to mimic the miracles that God is doing through Moses so that they can disobey God. Pharaoh's goal is to demonstrate that his false gods were just as powerful as the one true God, so there was no reason for him to listen to Moses. And in that conflict, as God continues to work signs, they become more and more serious, and there comes a level and there comes a time when Pharaoh's magicians turn to Pharaoh and say, we cannot do what this man is doing. We cannot duplicate these signs. And they say to him these words, This is the finger of God. In other words, God Almighty is the one who is doing this, Pharaoh, and you need to listen because if you don't, it will be destruction for you and salvation for the people of God. In other words, God was establishing his kingdom, his people through Moses at that time. The kingdom of God was arriving and Pharaoh was on the wrong side of God's power and ultimately would be completely destroyed. 
And that's what Jesus is warning these people. The kingdom of God was coming in the person of Christ. He was establishing the kingdom. And they were resisting him, and they would find destruction just like Pharaoh found it. And not only that, there's something bigger here. Because Jesus is very clear that the, the salvation that he worked for this one man and delivering him from a demon was only part of what he needed. He shows that if you come to Christ to be set free from some sort of bondage, but you don't recognize who he is and follow him, that you are not saved, that your final state will be worse than the first. Notice what he says. So right after he says this statement, the kingdom of God has come upon you, he says that when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. In other words, think of Pharaoh or think of the demon that's controlling that man. It's a strong man. The man had no power to deliver himself, just like the children of Israel had no power to deliver themselves. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So Moses, working under the uh, the power of God, delivered the people from Egypt and led them out with spoils, led them out with provisions that God blessed them with for all their years of slavery, for all their years of labor. Jesus is saying he's doing the same thing. He is leading people from bondage. He is the strong man that will overcome the one oppressing us. But then he says this, whoever is not with me is against me. Don't be skeptical. If you oppose Christ, you are against Christ. You are against God. And he says, whoever does not gather with me scatters. So if you are not trying to follow Christ, your end is destruction. Even if you have enjoyed something that God has done for you, but you no longer follow Christ, what that's saying is you were never a genuine follower at all. He illustrates that in verse 24 through the rest of this little section here. It says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. This is someone who's experienced deliverance. This is someone that has been set free from power for a little while. But they were not with Jesus. They didn't recognize who the strong man was. They didn't recognize that the kingdom of God was something they needed to become a part of. They came to Jesus just to have a problem solved. And when the problem was solved, they quit following Jesus. Jesus says that's of no value at all. In fact, your end will be worse than your original bondage because you were not with the one who saved you. There is great danger in emptiness. My question for you today is, do you come to Jesus to fix your problems? Are you wanting him to just solve a financial crisis for you? Do you want him to just fix your marriage? And then you can go on and live your life however you want to and not really worry about following Christ? Do you recognize that the kingdom of God is coming and you need to be ready for it? Do you come to Jesus as your savior and 
Lord, recognizing that your life belongs to him and you need to live for your king who loves you and gave himself for you. You know, I told a story of two little kids being saved at the beginning of this message. Part of the reason for that is I wanted you to know that Jesus still sets people free from the power of Satan. But the only reason I think those are good stories to tell, the two people that I mentioned in particular, is because both of those people have walked with Christ for decades, sometimes through very deep, dark valleys. Think of Sue with the loss of her husband. There are valleys so deep that many people believe that the Lord is not loving and they walk away from Him. The reason I told those two testimonies is they show people not only who had a moment where they believed in Jesus, but afterwards, for decades, they followed Christ. And you can see the fruit of their faith in their lives, that they are following Jesus as the Savior King through thick and thin. There are a lot of people who come to Jesus as little kids who then walk away. And to be honest, you can see the power of Satan at work in their lives. You know, they experienced that little bit of deliverance for a little while, but as their lives were swept and put in order, Satan reclaims them and their final bondage is worse than their initial bondage. The people that grow up in church and walk away, often they are worse off than people who never had anything to do with Jesus. I want to say to you as a a parent, as a grandparent, as a Sunday school worker, don't assume that every little kid who prays a prayer is fine. If someone you know prayed a prayer as a little child, walks away from following Jesus, they have no interest in worshiping together with other Christians. They have no interest in learning from the word of God what's right and true and who God is. They don't want to know God better and better Seems they want to know God less and less. If you see someone who repented as a child and they no longer repent of sin, but they're more and more comfortable with it as our culture and, and, and so many people are pressured to give up what God says is right and true and they begin to give in to that, what they're showing is they're actually still enslaved to Satan And their bondage and their blindness will only grow worse unless Jesus sets them free and they follow him as their Lord and Savior. It's possible to have a little bit of light, but then be condemned in eternal darkness. And I want to beg with you, number one, don't let that be true of you. And number two, recognize the danger that some of your loved ones are in. Don't assume they're okay because you heard that little Johnny prayed a prayer at VBS when he was six years old. If little Johnny has no interest in following Christ as a young man, little Johnny probably is not saved. It's possible a lot of Christians go through this little period where, where their faith is tested and tried. And, and, and I can't say for sure that he's not, but I can say you ought to be worried. I believe this text is teaching that, that there's a possibility that he experienced a little bit of deliverance, a little taste. But in reality, he's not saved at all. If you've heard that warning, right now you, you might be discouraged. 
fact, if, if you are wondering, how do I know if I am genuinely saved or, or if I've just come to God for his gifts and, and what he can do for me, how do I know if I'm genuinely placing my faith in Christ? Well, the next section is the hope of God's word. So we've seen the danger of emptiness. There's great hope in what Jesus says next. It says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know, as Jesus is pouring out his heart, pleading with people, that they need to recognize who he is or they are going to be left in grave danger. This woman cries out in the crowd and says something that has nothing to do with what he said at all. And I can't help but wonder if he would have been discouraged by that. I, I know that I would have been so discouraged. Like, have you been listening at all? What does that have to do with anything? It's just like a little pat on the head that says, a boy, great message. I love what you're saying. But it hasn't penetrated to her heart at all. She's just, she's just saying, oh man, your mom must be so proud of you. And it has nothing to do with what Jesus has just been warning. This is heaven and hell. And lady, you're just saying, your mom must be so proud. And he doesn't stand for it. He doesn't say, oh, thank you. Yeah, she's really proud. He corrects her. He says, no. Blessed rather. In other words, you're wrong. My mom is not blessed because she's my mom. She's not blessed because of what I'm doing. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's a blessing that's open to anyone. The kingdom of God is not about being a member of the right physical family. It's about being a member of God's family through faith. That God will adopt you and welcome you and bring you in as you hear what he says and believe it. And in hearing and believing, you will be transformed so that you obey. You know, a, a lot of times, certain, certain parts of the church elevate Mary and they almost make her divine. Mary's not any more special than anyone else, except that she did hear the word of God and keep it. You know, you remember chapter one, when the angel appears to her, says that she heard the word of God and she said, let it be done to me according to your word. She heard the word of God And she allowed it to be put into practice in her life in an incredibly costly way. And and as she sings praises to God, her Savior, her song, so beautiful, points back to the Old Testament in such clear ways that it shows she was a young woman who knew the Word of God, who loved the Word of God. And so, yes, she was tremendously blessed, but not because... She was perfect on her own. No, it was because she heard the word of God. She believed it and she put it into practice with her life. And that's a blessing that has nothing to do with your blood or physical heritage. It has everything to do with if you are willing to hear and do what God says in his word. And there is great hope there. Don't miss what Jesus says. Blessed, happy 
deeply happy, even through the deepest valleys of life, you can be blessed as you continue to cling to the word of God. You know, we, we read a psalm today that was a strange mixture of crying out to God for help and also complete confidence that one day we will be led to a place of praise. And that's what the Christian life is right now. There is great hope and blessedness in the word of God. So I want to beg with you today, hear it, listen to it. Let other people know that there's blessing here as we listen to the word of God and as we keep it, as we do it, as we believe it by faith and allow it to change us so that we begin to obey it. The tragic truth is many people hear the word of God and dismiss it. Or they harden their hearts so that they won't hear it at all. They're not interested in reading the word. They're not interested in hearing it preached. They just don't care. And so the third point of my message today that Jesus continues saying is that there is great danger in darkness. You remember I said this whole message is about how people respond to the deliverance that Jesus gave that man who was under the power of Satan. Well, we've already talked about the people who accused Jesus of working under the power of Satan. Now he's going to turn and talk to the people who were on the fence. You remember the people in verse 16 that said, Others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. They're not openly accusing him of being satanic. They're just saying, well... We're not sure yet. Give us another sign. Show us a miracle. Show us some proof. Do you remember what Jesus said a moment ago? Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Right here, he's showing that those who do not believe him and obey him will be judged. Look at verse 29 to 32 with me. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. You know Jesus wasn't just saying easy things to build a crowd. He calls them out. He says, it seeks for a sign. That's why they're evil. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Notice that Jesus is describing a judgment that leads to condemnation. That there is no hope for people who just need a little bit more proof. You know, people sometimes talk about how wonderful it would have been to see Jesus do miracles. Maybe to see him feed 5,000 people from just a small amount of bread and just a couple of fish. Maybe to see him walk on water, or or maybe especially to see him raise the dead. And I understand it, it would be awesome to see a miracle like that. But Jesus tells you plainly here, you don't need to see a miracle to believe. He expects you to believe the word of God when it is preached. Do you want a sign? Here it is. 
It's in the pages of Scripture. God has communicated to you through His Word. He's telling you what He wants you to know. He tells you that He requires you to believe His Word. When you're hearing the Word opened, as it's being opened right now, and you're hearing the Gospel preached, God is giving you the sign you need. You are responsible to believe it. Think about the two examples that Jesus gives. He's, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. If he's saying, if this lesser thing is true, how much more are you responsible to listen now at the preaching of Christ? And he gives two examples that are stunning. The first is the sign of Jonah. Jonah is not a remarkable prophet. He's a man that he hates the people God sent him to preach to. He goes to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. And Jonah did not want to see God have mercy on them. He wanted to see God pour out his wrath and judgment on them. And yet God is a merciful God. Sent Jonah to preach this message. And you see the power of the word because the word works even when the preacher is broken. And thank God for that. Jonah preaches this message, repent or the city is going to be destroyed in three days. And he's kind of hoping that no one listens and he'll watch as the city is destroyed. But from the king all the way down to the peasants, the whole city is gripped with their sin and they repent and plead with God for mercy and God forgives them and relents. So you see the power of the word of God in the preaching of Jonah. And then you also see it in the wisdom of Solomon. The second illustration Jesus gives, Solomon was known throughout the ancient world for his wisdom. When he was first crowned king, he prayed to God and said, God, the one thing that I need is I need wisdom to to rule this great people, and I don't have it. And God blessed him with such tremendous wisdom that he was famous all over the ancient world for being able to take the law of God, the word of God as they had it, and apply it with great fairness and great understanding to all the complexities and difficulties of life. In fact, we still benefit from his wisdom. So many of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs come from King Solomon. And so this ancient queen of the south heard of his reputation as a wise man and came, they think, all the way from Ethiopia to hear King Solomon in all his wisdom. And when she heard it, she said... I have not even heard half of what is true of your wisdom. Solomon was truly great. And his wisdom attracted people from far beyond Israel. And yet Jesus is saying something greater than the wisdom of Solomon is here. You see, Jesus is God's divine wisdom. In the flesh, embodied, in person. Solomon by the grace and mercy of God, had the ability to understand the law of God. But Jesus, Jesus not only perfectly understands the law, Jesus perfectly lives the law from all of eternity. And when he preaches, he's not preaching with wisdom that he's gained as a man. He preaches as the eternal Son of God, so completely united with the Father. You know, Solomon, 
Solomon wasn't perfect at all. He, because of his wives, his heart was stolen away and he led the people in idolatry. And you can actually see the beginning of the decline of Israel in King Solomon, wise though he was. But Jesus, Jesus never failed. He is greater than Solomon in wisdom. He is greater than Solomon in character. And Jesus said, if these flawed people from the past led people to God, you are in grave danger of being judged and condemned as you reject the Son of God, showing His power, extending God's mercy. If you harden your heart, there is no hope for you. Jesus promised that you'd be blessed if you heard the word of God and kept it. Do not be skeptical of the word of God and dismiss it. Listen, be open to it. Jesus says that there is great hope in the light of God's word. Look with me at verses 33 through 36. So we've seen two passages that are full of strong warning and two passages that are full of Deep encouragement. And I want to end with deep encouragement from what Jesus said. It says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness and if then your whole body is full of light having no part dark it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light you might ask you know what what on earth is jesus talking about here I want, to, I want to bring a couple of verses that help us understand this passage. Light throughout the scripture always shows us God's truth. Whether it's the, the light of the sun that shows the glory of God in the heavens in a general way. It's not very specific, but you get a sense that God is great. Or, John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you see the light in Jesus, and that light comes alive in you. Jesus says, verse 33, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket. So if you've seen the light of Jesus, and you genuinely believe it, you will never hide it. Not ultimately, not finally. You know, you, you may be like Peter. You may stumble and fall for a little while. But ultimately, you will let your light shine. You might wonder, you know, how is it that some people do what Jesus is warning against here? That they might, you know, snuff out the light with a basket or... or and here's how. So as a little five-year-old kid, you, you, you hear the gospel of Jesus. And then as you grow, you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But as you become tempted with all of the different things that this world has to offer, you begin to move further and further away from the light. And suddenly, your life no longer reflects the light of Jesus and you become very dark. 
It's possible to be ashamed of the light that you grew up in and you don't tell people that you were raised in church. I know people like this. People that I went to college with that today have walked away from Christ. They're ashamed of where they went to school because it has the word Bible in the name of it. Jesus is saying it's possible to see the light and then live your life in darkness. But this final passage is is not ultimately a warning, although he does say, he says, therefore be careful, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If you think you've seen the light of Jesus and you think you're resting in him, be careful to make sure that you're not self-deceived. You know, the Apostle John, who, who recorded the words of Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Apostle John would later write, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, maybe because you prayed a prayer as a little kid, or, or you like to think that you know, you're all right with God, but you don't really need to follow him or live for him. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, so you live just like all the non-Christians around you, you don't worship God, you, you don't have a desire to know him anymore, and you enjoy all the pleasures of the world that have nothing to do with God, and in fact, some of them God forbids. If you break God's law and you continue to walk in darkness, John says you're a liar. You're claiming to be a Christian, but you're not. The light that you think you have is darkness within you. But, then John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Don't miss what he's saying there. He's not saying that you have to be perfect to walk in the light because he says that as you walk in the light in obedience, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Not because of your obedience, but because the faith in you is genuine. The faith that you have leads you in walking in obedience. And so the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin as you continue to look to the light of Christ. The question I have for you today is, how do you walk in the light? Well, you do what Jesus said. You listen to the word of God and obey it. You don't look at the light of the word and then Hide it. You don't ignore it, what it says, even if it's unpopular. You don't forget what the word has said to you. You make sure that you remember it. You meditate on it. You focus on it so that it shines in your life and that your life becomes a beacon to the people around you. Think back again for just a second. Jesus described that guy set free from a demon but he didn't follow Christ. There was a moment where his life reflected the light of Jesus so brilliantly because Jesus did something that was impossible in his life. But if he didn't follow Christ, ultimately that light would have been completely snuffed out. And he would have remained ultimately and finally in bondage and in darkness. And so for you and I, We need to keep our gaze fixed on the light. And when we do that, Jesus promises, 
our lives will be wholly bright. As when a lamp with its rays gives you light, the light will transform you finally and completely. And so what do we do? I want to say two things, two different types of people. Maybe you're here, maybe you don't know Jesus at all. You wouldn't say, I'm a Christian. You'd say, I don't know what this is about. If that's you, I would beg you, come to Jesus. Ask him to save you. Recognize your bondage and your darkness and look to the light of Jesus. He loves you so much. He died for you and he rose from the dead and you will find joy in knowing him. Ask him to save you not just from your physical problems, not just from your anxiety and your mental distress, not just from your marital problems, not just from your financial problems. Jesus can help with those things, but none of those things will matter on judgment day. You need new life. So come to Jesus and repent of your sins. Hate the sins that you have been committed, that you have been enslaved to. Forsake them and leave them as you look to Jesus. Have nothing to do with darkness. That means you leave your sin at the cross and begin a life of obedience. Be baptized. Show that you died with Christ by faith. And that you are raised to walk in newness of life. Don't be on the fence about Jesus. Don't ask for more proof. Believe the word that you have heard. You are responsible because you have heard it preached clearly this morning. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. And you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. that God raised him from the dead. And that he will give you life when you confess your sins. So that's for if you don't know the Lord today. I will beg you, come to Jesus and look at the light. And you will be transformed and your life will be wholly bright. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I would say to you, be careful. Be careful. That's what Jesus says in verse 35. Those are two words that I I underlined in this text. Because they speak directly to my heart and to your heart. You need to make sure... That you're not flirting with sin and being led away and deceived. Because in the end, you ultimately could demonstrate that you never were truly a believer at all. If you begin to love sin more than you love God, it's showing that you may have enjoyed a little bit of light for a little while. But in the end, your darkness will be worse than your first condition. So I would beg you, Don't play with sin. Don't justify it. When you sin, repent. Forsake it. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God in obedience to your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you can't do something to God's glory, do not do it at all. You know, Christians love to debate about whether something is right or wrong. In this message, what I want to beg you to do is look to Jesus Christ. Remember his power, his ability to deliver you. Remember his love for you displayed on the cross. Remember the power of the resurrection and live your life as you gaze at Jesus Christ, knowing what he did for you, knowing he will come again. Praise Jesus 
daily. It is good for your soul to praise your Savior. You can praise Jesus from this passage that he has such power to just deliver a man in an instant that people marveled at it and know that he will do the same for you. Praise him daily. That's another way to fix your eyes on him. In prayer, ask Jesus how you can serve him every day. He will lay things on your heart and let even the mundane things of your life be acts of worship to your Savior, Jesus. You can wash the dishes to the glory of God as you look at Jesus. You know, I began this message with a story of two young kids who found deliverance and freedom through Jesus Christ as their sins were forgiven. I want to end with a message about John Newton. John Newton, some of you know the name. If you don't, that's, that's fine. You know his song. You know Amazing Grace. We sing it all the time. John Newton was a man who understood the depth of his sin and the darkness that was in his life before he came to Christ. He was a slave trader and he never never was able to escape the guilt of the terrible sins that he had committed. But by the grace of God, he came to faith in Christ. And not only did he come to faith in Christ, he he ultimately became a pastor. And because he knew the depth of his sin, he was so full of compassion for people who struggled. And so he became a model that, that showed the light of Jesus to dark places in people's lives. And as he aged, he never forgot the grace that God had extended to him. He continued to live in it. And as he approached death, he's a very old man. He lived a long time. And he said this on his deathbed. And I want to leave you with this today. Newton said, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Christ is a great Savior. Let me urge you today to look to that light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've heard from your word that that we need the light of Christ in our lives. Let us not be ashamed or hide it or bury it. Let us look to Jesus daily, moment by moment, Fill us with the light of our Savior who is so strong. Give us the assurance that He will save us. And Lord, let us spread this light all over Holly and around the world. And I pray these things in the name of my Savior Jesus. Amen.